evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. It's been a little while since we were able to do the streaming. Hopefully, we've recovered from the, the very bad flood, and things are up and running again. Um, we have a, a little bit and a lot to talk about tonight. So we're going to go through our regular sort of, here's the, the many little stories that happened this week, and then we're going to get into the, the, the big one. And this week... There is a really big one. Um, it is it is something that probably everybody should be paying very, very, very close attention to because, boy, we got some problems in this province the way things are shaking up. Um, from there, though, before we get too far into that, we want to talk about some of the good things. And one of the best things of the last week was very, very quietly announced by the provincial government, as expected, on a Friday because, of course, it was uh, because it had to do with vaccines. It had to do with kids. So the really, really good news is that vaccine boosters are now open to kids five to 11. You can start booking the shots. Uh, I believe it's tomorrow. Um, and then starting to get the shots uh, within a couple of days. Now, with kids going back to school, this is a huge, big, important deal. And yet, for some reason, there was little to no announcement about it from the provincial government. They did a very quiet little press release, um, but there was no official announcement from the uh, from the health minister. There was no official announcement from uh, CMOH. It was just a very quiet, oh, we, we did a thing, so that's nice, we guess. Uh, and that was really it, which is really, really unfortunate because, again, one of the things that we've seen throughout COVID is that when the government says, hey, guys, we got this thing. You should do the thing. If you want to do the thing, it's up to you. You get a choice here. When the government has said that, people go and get the shots. When the government has quietly sat on their hands with an announcement like this, people don't. And especially when it comes to kids, when there's still a lot of people that are really, really concerned and scared because of the amount of misinformation in regards to the vaccines and what they can do to people. It's even more important for the governments to step forward and say, hey, you know what? We got this. This is figured out. But they didn't. So if you're listening to this, if you have kids, so, you know, vaccines are now available. And if you're listening to this and you know somebody who has kids, even if and, and, and you know that there's somebody who maybe got the first shot, maybe check in with them. Maybe let them know, hey, this is a thing that happened. And yet again, probably because the government uh, is terrified of pissing off the base, which we're going to get to in a sec, uh, they, they decided to soft pedal it, which is, again, really, really unfortunate. Our next story that we're going to talk about is we have a new cabinet minister. For those of you that were here two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Doug Schweitzer has announced not only is he stepping down as a cabinet minister, he's also, I mean, really within the next couple of weeks here, he said near the end of August. So he could be announcing his resignation from the, the government as an MLA in just a couple of days here. Well, apparently Tanya Fur swore up and down on a stack of Bibles that she absolutely would not break any travel restrictions this time. And she has replaced Doug Schweitzer. So, I mean, they get maybe six months as a government, assuming that they call the election. Going to be hard to say. But with all of that in mind, that's kind of a little bit of, of, of fun, little information for those keeping up on the, the AB Ledge stuffs. 
And in the file of kidding, just kidding, maybe kidding, maybe not kidding, there's been an ongoing thing going on with Athabasca University. Now, we did a bit of a deeper dive on this two weeks ago. We talked about the fact that Athabasca University is a remote learning university. It was created that way. It was always supposed to be a distance learning university, which is a really, really important thing for a lot of people who maybe can't get to a campus, who maybe live in rural areas. But one of the other things that's really, really important to know about Athabasca University is they're what's called an open university, which means that anybody can go there. Doesn't matter if you finished high school. You can get into their general studies program by nature of effectively having a pulse. And that's really, really important because there's a lot of people for whom post-secondary education wouldn't be accessible. It's not something that they'd be eligible for. Because maybe they had a, a crap run in high school. Maybe they didn't finish high school. So being able to access an open university is really, really important. But with COVID, they went to uh, a lot, as did most of the world, a near virtual platform, which meant that they were doing a lot of their stuff not in person. They were doing it over the Internet. Now, one of the things that they realized as they went through all of this is, hey, this really works, especially because we're a distance learning university. So maybe we should go to a near virtual curriculum. We should go to a near virtual style, which again, for a distance learning university makes a lot of sense. But there are some folks in the town of Athabasca who were really, really afraid of what that could potentially do to the economy of uh, Athabasca, as well as to the, the jobs and the situation and the quality of life in Athabasca. They didn't want people to leave, basically. They didn't want people to say, I'm not going to move there, or maybe I'm going to move to somewhere with, I don't know, a water park or something. And so there were a bunch of people who kicked up a big storm over, we can't have this being near virtual platform, because if we do, it's going to crush the town's economy. We want people to live here. And they petitioned advanced uh, education minister Demetrius Nicolaides. Nicolaides, I always get it wrong uh, to say, hey, can you do something about this? And he said, yeah, I will. I'm going to tie any funding to the number of employees that live in the area. You have to have a certain number of employees if you want to get the provincial funding to run this university that is accessible for so many people who otherwise wouldn't be able to get into university. That's what he said. Now, two weeks ago, it broke. He was walking it back. He, was, he changed his mind. He'd realized that he'd made a mistake. Everybody was very excited. We were very happy. We celebrated it. Um, well, just kidding. Turns out he has a new proposal that he's put forward. The details are still not public uh, entirely, but it's become very, very clear that, in fact, yeah, no, he is going to tie the funding to uh, the number of employees that remain in the town. So there's that, I guess. We're going to keep following it. Hopefully, maybe something changes, but we'll we'll see what we see. Moving on from there, though, and we're probably going to I'll say one more thing. We'll probably get into it once uh, Deirdre joins us. Deirdre will be joining us for the program, the discussion, the, the telling Nate all the places where he's wrong part of the show, of which I'm sure tonight in particular, there are going to be a lot. Um, but we'll get into it a little bit more once Deirdre joins us. But one of the other things that's happened is there was a constituency association annual general meeting that happened in the constituency of Chestermere Strathmore. And it was a bit of a contentious thing because on one hand, Leela Heer's board was fighting desperately to keep hold of the board. And on the other hand, there were a boatload of people, I don't know, 
maybe a bunch of people uh, affiliated with with Mr. Kenny. I don't know. Maybe a bunch of people affiliated with the candidate who's challenging Leela here for the MLA role. I don't know. But it was a record-setting AGM. And there were so many people that showed up that people were actually talking. It wasn't that, hey, so-and-so got elected president. There's quotes in multiple media platforms where people simply say, hey, uh, Chantal Dijon, her, her team won. They won. They got the board. So it's when, when people are throwing out quotes like that, it's very clearly not about anything other than um, who controls the board, who controls the nomination. So it'll be interesting to see where, where things go from there but i'm gonna i'm gonna lean heavily in on deirdre for for her interpretation of things from there in the meantime and working up to that conversation piece where again once we get through the program proper if you want to weigh in we are live on twitter spaces we are streaming on the youtubes and we do have our discord kind of sort of running it's being a little sketchy tonight but we're actually going to be opening up the discord to the public starting next week so it should be an even more lively conversation there's a few folks that have said they want a bit more of a, a chat feature ability to things so we're going to try to do that with with discord because we hear good things about it um let's get to the main event shall we the alberta prosperity project and the rebel media uh rebel news hosted a forum a debate it was hosted by uh what appeared to be a a misplaced bond villain and and perhaps the Alberta version of, of Saul Goodman. I don't know. That's what it seemed like. Um, it was a pretty, pretty contentious event from the get-go. And there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, the Alberta Prosperity Project, as we've talked about in previous episodes, has some problems. They look like they're wanting to be a provincial political party. They have on their website proposed bylaws for a party, proposed bylaws for a constituency association. They have a constitution for the pro for country of Alberta. They are unabashedly separatist. Some of their, their board members and their biggest members have some let's go with problematic views and histories. And for a lot of those different reasons, there are only three candidates that showed up to this event. The other four UCP candidates said, oh, Oh, we we looked at your website after after some people said some things and it's it's very, very bad. We don't we don't want to do that. Thank you for the invitation. We're going to to find something else to do. And they did. But there were three candidates that showed up and, you know, we, we, we live tweeted the event because despite the fact that they said that they were selling tickets online, apparently somebody who had access to their Twitter account decided that they were going to intermittently turn the microphone on and live stream it so we listened to it we did our best to live tweet it but there were some things that were said that are really important for people to hear not only because there's some policy ideas that were floated that are straight up dangerous but there were a lot of lies that were said and so we're going to try to unpack some of those things and, and we've got some clips to go with this. Now, to be clear, before we get into the clips, because I know that if we don't say this, there's going to be people who say, oh, you edited it. We edited it. So the entire event was almost three hours long, which is way too long for Twitter Spaces under the best of circumstances. Certainly way too long to juxtapose. Here's what they said with and here's what the reality is. That would that's asking a lot of everybody to try to sit through. So we're not we 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 compressed it down. We 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 made some of the relevant stuff fit. 
Now we're do we did our very very best not to misrepresent anything, not to take anything out of context. But there are some really important things that you need to hear. If you're watching on the YouTube or if you want to know where those edits are, because we're just that good at audio editing, I guess, uh, you'll be able to see where the edits are because by and large, there's little flashes. They're short flashes. They're, they're quite interspersed. So, I mean, I probably should say if you're somebody who has uh, any sort of issues with flashing lights or anything like that and you're watching on the YouTube, there's like seven or eight. They're about three minutes apart. You've been, I guess, warned. Now I hope I can't be sued, he said cautiously. Um, but as you can imagine, the centerpiece for the evening, given that the participants were Danielle Smith, who by many measures is the front runner in the race. Um, there was Brian Jean. And then there was some other guy. Oh, right. Todd Lowen, who didn't even get his name spelled right on his podium. You almost got to kind of feel bad for the guy, but he showed up. So, you know, that's not great because of who hosted it. But as you can imagine, with those people, one of the main topics of conversation was, in fact, the Alberta Sovereignty Act. So I'll tell you what the Alberta Sovereignty Act would do. It would simply put the federal government on notice that we will be reasserting our constitutional jurisdiction and it also ensures that we are putting our civil service on notice, all 240,000 of them, that every single decision they make must be put through the lens of putting Alberta first. We have had $600 billion leave this province since the 1960s in a political deal for the federal liberals to prop up their support in Quebec. If we do not start making the decisions now to follow in Quebec's path, become a nation within a nation, collect our own income tax, have our own provincial police, have our own pension, have our own control over agriculture policy, have our own immigration program, we are going to be con continue to be treated like a junior Player. Our first use case may be on using it in the fall. If the federal government wants to impose vaccine mandates or vaccine passports or tell our kids under age 12 that their parents have to vaccinate them, we should have used the, um, the, the invoke the act, actually, if it had been in place the same way that we saw in Quebec. When the Emergencies Act came through, what did the Quebec National Assembly do? They convened their legislature and they said, we will not enforce that. Imagine if we had done that. Maybe Tamara Leach would not have been arrested. Maybe bank accounts wouldn't have been seized. Those are the reasons why we have to draw a clear line, is that I do not think that the federal government is done with us on that issue. You can see from their actions that they have continued to keep these restrictions in place. And I think that'll be the first use case for it. So there's a lot to unpack right out of the gates there. One of the biggest things that has to be highlighted, though, is the fact that she's misrepresenting the situation for what the COVID response was right out of the gates. So what she's saying there is that the federal government is going to be uh, implementing all of these health restrictions. It's important to remember almost all of the health restrictions, all of the, the health protections that were taken did not come from the federal government. They came from the provincial government. And that's a really, really important thing to remember because she's presenting it as if the evil federal government is going to come in. And that's why we need this Sovereignty Act, because it's so, so, so important. Uh, it's going to protect us from the federal government, even though most of the things she's complaining about didn't actually have anything to do 
with the federal government. Most of them were provincial. Now, there's some other things that is really important to note about what she's talking about in there, because some of the examples that she's given right out of the gates aren't the kind of things that she's referred to before. And in fact, one of the other candidates worked pretty quick to call her out on that. Folks, I've got a copy of the Alberta Sovereignty Act right here. And if you go to Staples, you can get them in reams of 500. Listen, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious. If there's an act, let's see it so we can talk about it and study it and see what it's going to do. There are political and business and economy ramifications for bad decisions. And we don't even know what this decision is, and yet we're asked to talk about a fake piece of legislation that's not even in front of us. And the Sovereignty Act is a fake. And you may not like that, but it's true. We, here we are arguing about something that has, hasn't been written yet. Daniel said it's not actually supposed to ever be used for anything. This fake idea will never fix anything with Trudeau that Trudeau's done in the past and will not fix anything in the future. Thank you, we Mr. We have James. to be stronger than that. We have to take more serious action. Now, as you could hear there, the, the moderators um, who were, I like to call him Dr. Zola, and you'll see why in a little bit. Um, but the moderators were Dr. Dennis Modry and Ezra Levant. And they did not take kindly to Mr. Gene quite honestly, being the most honest that he was in the night in calling out the problems with the Alberta Sovereignty Act. There have been repeated calls for people from people saying, hey, you know what you should do? If you're going to say that you've got this super nuclear weapon act that's going to firewall the heck out of Alberta, maybe you should show us a couple of the sentences. Maybe you could produce that. But Daniel Smith hasn't. She's just said, trust me. Which, when someone is consolidating power in the ways that she's saying that she's going to, isn't exactly the most, let's go with reassuring, approach. But from there, that was the opening couple of minutes with, with Brian Jean were probably the most uh, reasonable, sane, perhaps, uh, that the evening saw. Because from there... Things went downhill real fast. And one of the things that we want you to try to keep in mind as we're going through the next chunk of clips is how quickly the candidates contradict themselves. You'll see that in this next question right here. Would your government take control of that which falls under provincial constitutional authority, such as policing, pensions, immigration, EI, provincial tax collection, and anything else you want to add to that list? I have a copy of the Fair Deal panel here, and I can tell you that I agree with all of the recommendations. In fact, I even re recommend with, I even recommend the recommendation that says that we won't take up tax collecting now for Albertans. Why? Because Quebec doesn't actually have one tax collection agency. They have two. They have to fill out, Quebecers have to fill out two forms. You see, folks, the truth is that right now the only way forward is to invoke Section 46 of the Constitution. The only way forward is to make sure that we actually do whatever we can to get as much autonomy as we can. The specific question is, would you take control of that which you can um, constitutionally now, those five items? Yes, I've said that. Okay, thank I, you. I would say move forward on autonomy on any way we can and beyond that. We've got to be standing on our own two feet. We have got to be that equal partner in Confederation by following on the same path that Quebec has, implementing all of those policies, stopping the cash flow, leaving this province, and then we can get into a conversation about how to change the relationship from a position of strength. We can't do that while they're still collecting our income tax for us, as an example. We've got, that's got to be the first thing we do. 
So a couple of things to note there. First of all, Brian Jean started off with a very strong, I absolutely won't support income tax collection here in Alberta. It doesn't make any sense. Quebec has to do farms, bureaucratic nightmare, yada, yada, yada. And as soon as Dr. Modry said, uh, specifically, I want to know about the five things. Are you going to do them all? Mr. Jean said, yeah, I'll do everything. <laughs> Which is a a uh, staggering lesson in in fortitude, I guess. But what is also particularly telling about the other candidates' answer to that clip or that question came from Danielle Smith. Now, it's really important to realize when we're talking about what the income tax collection is. There is the option to collect federal income tax. There is the option to collect provincial income tax. Federal income tax still needs to be remitted to the federal government because there's federal tax law. If you're going to be part of the country of Canada, you have to pay your federal taxes. But what Danielle Smith said there was she wants to stop the flow of money coming out of Alberta. The implication of what she said there is that she wants to stop the, the, the payment of federal income taxes. Now, what's important to understand here is that she didn't necessarily say that explicitly, but she certainly implied it. One of the things that's really important from anybody who's putting themselves up to be in a position of leadership is that they have to, I don't know, actually provide some leadership, but at the same time, they have to be very, very clear about what their goals are. Danielle Smith knows exactly what kind of audience she's dealing with. And the fact that she would say things that allow for any interpretation as to whether or not there would still be federal taxes remitted or whether or not we're going to try to sovereignty act that one too is just irresponsible. But it gets worse from there. And it gets, quite frankly, a whole lot scarier because Mr. Levant had his own questions. Do you have an or else in mind... What is it and what would make you use it? And if not, how are you serious? And I, I'll start off with Danielle Smith on that one. Uh, the or else is Dennis Modry and the Alberta Prosperity Project. It's true. And I talked to Dr. Modry as one of my first steps. I said, let's try this together. Let's get as much autonomy as we can. Full well knowing that he's got the power I almost want to play that clip again, because in that clip, Danielle Smith is not only clearly aligning herself with the Alberta Prosperity Project. She is openly saying she reached out to them and has been working with them from the start. This is an organization that have board members who have had to quit roles because of publicly posted racist statements. This is an organization that has members that do weekly sermons that walk right up to, if not over the line, of incitement and hate speech. This is an organization that has its own party principles, bylaws, constitution, posted on its own website. And this is who Danielle Smith reached out to. And she was quite explicit in a separate part, where she said one of the reasons why she reached out to him is because Modri apparently has, the Alberta Prosperity Project apparently has, a database of a million Albertans. And she wanted to work with him. The implications of that in and of itself alone are staggering. But the fact that she would be candid and say, hey, I've been working with these guys since the start when the organization only really started showing up the beginning of January, 
is really, really quite telling as to how interwoven things have become. The Alberta Prosperity Project also had some questions about Section 1 of the Constitution. For those of you that aren't familiar, Section 1 of the Constitution, and I'm paraphrasing, if we've got any lawyers on the Twitter spaces who want to tell me how badly I represent things, please, absolutely, once we open it up to conversation, do. But Section 1 of the Constitution basically says all of these rules are rules that exist. All of these rights are rights that, that exist, but they're not 100% immutable. Because the people who wrote the Constitution recognized sometimes shit happens. Sometimes things get out of control. Sometimes you have to say, for the greater good of the society or for people's own safety, we have to have mechanisms to keep everybody safe. Fires are good examples of that. Mandatory evacuation orders are good examples of that. Pandemics are good examples of that. People who have mental health issues being detained for their own safety are examples of that. There's no shortage of examples of why there are times when your rights are not 100% bulletproof. That's really, really important to highlight. But let's, let's hear what the candidates had to say about Section 1. Do you believe that the federal government was justified in using Section 1 to violate individual freedoms and rights, including bodily autonomy during the COVID-19 flu? And if so, why? And if not, why not? We need to put an interpretation provision in there to make sure that both the Health Act and the Alberta Bill of Rights do not override each other. And they make sure that your rights are greater than the rights of any other Canadian. There was nothing reasonable and there was nothing demonstrable about the decisions that they made. And everyone let us down, like the House of Commons let us down, the Senate let us down, the media let us down, the medical establishment let us down. We are the last bulwark against a lawless Ottawa. And what we have to do is make sure we limit judges. Ten years of litigation experience, I can know how to limit, limit judges on what they can do, folks. And I will tell you this, that I will do exactly that. Then our, our charter is framed in acknowledging the supremacy of God, and it does that for a reason. It's because governments don't grant you rights. You are granted those rights by virtue of being human. You are granted those rights by virtue of being alive. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, but before we do, I just want to take a moment to really appreciate the moment where Dr. Mode, he was clearly, he was waiting for this one, he was so proud of how he asked this question. He felt really, really good about it. And it was actually in watching this moment that we realized something. Dr. Modry is pretty much Dr. Zola straight out of Captain America. And he even kind of smiles the same. There's, there's, a bit of a, there's a bit of an overlap. But getting into what the candidates had to say there, there are... Um, some things that are really important to, to highlight. First of all, it's been pointed out, I may or may not have conflated the charter and the constitution there. I'm a little fired up tonight and I'm not a lawyer. So that's why I said, if I get it wrong, somebody correct me and thankfully somebody did. So yay for that. Second of all, we got some fascinating things going on there. We know that Mr. Brian Jean has had some comments about judges. We were told directly by his campaign manager that he would not be appearing on our show because we pointed out that he had said that he wanted to stack the courts with conservative judges who make conservative like-minded decisions. Now, you're going to hear some comments that later on in the show that demonstrate he hasn't really strayed that far from that theme. 
But the other piece that's really important to understand is the Alberta Prosperity Project. A lot of the members are profoundly religious, profoundly Christian. One of their vice presidents has made a lot of social media hay about the fact that they open with a good Christian prayer at the beginning of all of their events. So make no mistake, the fact that Daniel Smith threw out the rights are God-given dog whistle was very, very deliberate, and it was for a lot of different reasons. But here's the thing. If we've learned nothing over the last bunch of decades— there are some very real questions to be asked about the inclusion of any deity in any legal system. Because which God? Which one? Which religion? Which values? More and more, we're seeing more and more courts rule, not based on God, but based on what's the actual precedent? What's the actual laws? What's the actual deal here? It's really important to highlight that. But speaking of that, I want to call it a misappropriation a little bit. It got worse because we heard from uh, Mr. Levant a comparison of some events. Sometimes after a traumatic time where people are pitted against each other, there's a truth and reconciliation process. Mm -hmm. There was one after apartheid in South Africa. There was one in Canada dealing with indigenous issues. Do you think there should be a sort of truth and reconciliation process where facts are brought out and we hear about the victims? What would that look like in your mind? Well, the first thing would be firing the board of AHS and firing... And fi Dr. Hodkinson, you might like this one even better, and firing the board of the College of Physicians and Surgeons. They've been lawless. It's almost impossible to understate how outrageous that actually is. First of all, for anybody to conflate apartheid and the genocide against First Nations in Canada, against the health response during COVID-19, is just irresponsible. It's hurtful and it's not accurate by any measure. For Daniel Smith to pivot from that and then say that the entire board of AHS needs to be fired as part of the healing process and that the entire board of the College of Physicians and Surgeons needs to be fired is not only a gross overreach, but it's a direct threat to the integrity of our healthcare system. Worth noting perhaps, in the land of dog whistles, that when Dr. Modry decided to pen an open letter that he published in the Western Standard in the early days of COVID, the College of Physicians and Surgeons came out and said, hey, whoa, let's take a breather here. This guy is not licensed to practice medicine in the province of Alberta. And they made a point of highlighting that he had no experience in public health. So when the guy that the College of Physicians and Surgeons came out and said, y'all want to be really, really careful how much expertise in the field of infectious diseases and public health you assign to this man who can't practice medicine and has no experience in those fields. For Daniel Smith to throw that out in front of him 
was not about whether or not it's a right thing to say. It's a just thing to say. It's a good public policy. It is entirely about feeding that crowd who know that about Dr. Modri exactly what they want to hear regardless of the consequences. Speaking of consequences. Would you grant a, a pardon to everyone who was tagged with a lockdown prosecution or fine or ticket. I'm so glad you asked that question. Well, we can't. We don't have the authority to pardon. Would I get rid of Alberta fines? Everything Alberta can do to make sure we set the record straight. Or stay the case. It's not, maybe not a pardon. That's a technical term. But would you call off the prosecutions and stop the collections of fines? Absolutely. As much as we can do with provincial prosecutors that are under the mandate of the justice justice uh, minister and speaking of justice ministers the the, the, the justice respect, minister respect, that jailed folks. the most people in north america just endorsed daniel smith is she going to fire him too because let's be clear he put fences around my churches the places i go to worship and he left the walmarts and the costco's open so let's not talk about cheap talk. Let's talk about real talk. Are you going to fire him? Is he going to be part of your cabinet? Is he going to be the acting premier of our province when she's not elected? Or the minister of justice? That's the question you should be asking right now. Talk is cheap. So, again, a whole lot going on there. Out of the gates, Mr. Brian Jean said, hey, you know what? We, we don't have the ability to do that. And then when Ezra Levant suggested, well, why don't you just subvert the entire legal system and abuse the authority that is given to the justice ministry? Why don't you do that? Brian Jean said, oh, yeah, we could do that. It is critically important that we recognize, as we talked about in our last episode with uh, the, the lawyer Martin, the, the legal professor. It is critically important that we recognize that we have different levels of government and different sections of government for specific reasons. And the idea that an elected politician who may or may not have any legal experience or knowledge or legal experience, if they are a lawyer practicing or not, that they would be able to say, you know what? Judiciary, criminal law, the courts, I know better than you. I'm going to overrule all of that legal experience and intelligence and knowledge because I just feel like it. Now, it might feel good to hear that if you're somebody who's like, yeah, the fines were bad. It might feel good to hear that. But flip the coin. What happens if that becomes the precedent, the way that we do business in Alberta now, and it's something that you don't like? It's something that affects you negatively. If we start to have elected officials exercising that kind of overreach, it's a tremendous, tremendous problem. One of the other topics that came up throughout the evening was Bill C-11. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar, Bill C-11 is a proposed bill. It's currently working its way through the Senate. The Senate has said, whoa, we got some work to do here, kids, before we send it back because you got some problems. But basically what it is, is it's the it's the can con of the Internet. Back in the early days of the radio in uh, Canada, they recognized, wow, there's a whole lot of American music coming up here. We need to have some Canadian music as well. And for those of us that grew up in Canada in the 90s 
having we wouldn't have heard all of the amazing Canadian bands on the radio that we ended up hearing if it wasn't for the fact that the federal government said there's a certain amount of stuff that goes on the radio that has to be Canadian. It has to be either written by Canadians or produced by Canadians or performed. by. It's got to have a Canadian element. There has to be a minimum requirement for how much content goes on that's Canadian. That's been something that's existed for literally decades. All C11 is proposing to do is do the same thing for streaming services. So we're talking about services that purely stream video. Those services would have to ensure that they had Canadian content. I don't understand. As somebody who's streaming right now, I don't understand how anybody can get freaked out about that because it's only going to help Canadians. But there's a lot of people who have completely misportrayed what this bill is going to do. There's people who say, oh, they're coming for your Facebook and your Twitter. And that's not the case. In fact, the bill, as it's written currently, has provisions excluding social media. So it's only streaming video services. So, for example, I could very easily continue to do what I'm doing right now on the Twitter machine with this spaces piece. But if I was streaming from the States and I was talking about American politics and I was trying to stream that into Canada, then YouTube might potentially have to adjust its algorithm of suggested videos. That's it. That's the whole ballgame. But here's what the candidates had to say about it. Well, we need to make sure at every possible place that we have free speech and we challenge Justin Trudeau on his moves because, let's face it, he is persecuting us just like pastors were persecuted over this last two years. What we could do is what... One enterprising reporter has already done. He's moved to Florida and he is broadcasting into the Ontario market. Why don't we make it easier? Why don't we get Elon Musk to help us out? We'll use his Starlink system and we'll get our, we'll ask these media outlets to come here so that they can broadcast from here into the rest of the country. And we can make sure that we continue to defend their constitutional and charter rights to free press and freedom of speech. Now, Danielle Smith has, oh boy, many times in history, said some staggeringly dumb things. That's just, that's quantifiable. And one of the excuses that some people use is they say, ah, oh, she's just speaking on the fly. Ah, oh, she was just making a joke on the Twitter machine. And yet she doubles down on them again and again and again and again. And in fact, when you think about Daniel Smith's greatest hits, as you'll see again in a few minutes, the only thing that she left out of this forum was insulting comments about cancer survivors and cancer patients. Literally almost every other offensive comment that she's made, including references to the hydroxychloroquine shit show, showed up in this forum. And we're going to show them to you in just a bit here. The Starlink piece not only is, <laughs> it's, it's just so dumb. It's so dumb. It's hard to explain how dumb it is. That's how dumb it is. It's just very, very dumb. Her proposal is in effect that she would say, you know what? We're going to use the Alberta Sovereignty Act again. And we're going to say, uh, we're going we're gonna to make our own rules about what we can broadcast and not broadcast. So we're going to invite everybody to come to Alberta. And they can broadcast to the universe from Alberta using Starlink. And the feds can't touch us. Yes, they can. Because even if you're broadcasting, the legislation is written so that if you're doing a service like YouTube in Canada and somebody's accessing that service from Canada, 
then the algorithm would change recommended videos. So regardless of where or how you broadcast, it doesn't change anything. But again, this is a policy that she tweeted out at Elon Musk a few months ago, and she's doubling down on it again. But she doubled down on a lot of things. One of them had to do with ICUs. We have to remember that the pretext we were given for the original shutdown in March of 2020 was that the AHS system couldn't handle a surge in patients and that we were supposed to give them two weeks to flatten the curve and enough latitude to be able to develop surge capacity. What happened when the Delta variant came is we discovered not only did they not increase the beds by 1,100 as the premier directed them to do, they actually decreased the number of ICU beds to 173. Now, I don't know if this is incompetence or if they are actively sabotaging us, but very clearly they're not up to the job. Now, I don't know if it's incompetence or if she's actively sabotaging the province, but she doesn't know what she's talking about. What AHS was tasked with by the premier of Alberta, and this is all public, was to identify if they needed the surge capacity. Could they make that surge capacity happen with over a thousand beds. Because based on some of the projections, without any interventions, that's what we were potentially looking at as a province. And AHS did that. What they didn't do was staff those beds and kick all of the people who were in those beds out of them to create ICU spaces. Danielle Smith is claiming that the province should have dumped millions and millions of dollars into ICU beds and staffing those ICU beds when they weren't needed at the time. Now, either she is that staggeringly incompetent, despite the fact that this has been pointed out publicly on more than a few occasions, or she is entirely comfortable misleading people to support the narrative and support the anger in order to serve her own goals. Either way, it's certainly not befitting somebody who wants to be the premier of the province. But let's get back to that hydroxychloroquine shit show, shall we? When I left the air, and part of the reason I did that is everyone has had a line during COVID. I was told I had to bring my coverage in alignment with the narrative. And after I saw Dr. Pierre Corey test testify in the U.S. Senate and Dr. Peter McCullough testify in the Texas Senate, that we could have saved 85% of those lives if we had allowed doctors to treat their patients, that if a drug has been approved for use in Canada by Health Canada, our physicians have the latitude and the ability to prescribe as long as they've got patient input and they're not over-prescribing, and that was a, a principle that was violated. It's a violation of our laws, and we have to make sure that we've got people in there who are going to be law-abiding. I think our doctors need to be autonomous. They need to have autonomy to prescribe what they believe is in your best interest. And if you don't like that doctor and you don't like what they're prescribing, go somewhere else. That's what I'm going to make sure happens. And how we have to do that, there's a number of ways. We have to institute professional regulatory investigation mechanisms for our colleges. We have to make sure that they're held accountable, that they're transparent, and that when people make a mistake in those colleges, they're gone. Now, ignoring Brian Jean's stunning little display of, boy, we've just got so many doctors. We, 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 have, we have all these doctors. If you don't like your doctor, go to the other doctor. There's doctors everywhere. They're falling out of trees, these doctors. Ignoring the fact that that is completely disconnected with the reality of a physician shortage in Alberta, which we have. Let's talk a little bit about what Smith referenced there. 
So she talked about Dr. Peter McCullough, who testified before the Texas Senate. And that's the moment when she realized that 85% more lives could have been saved. Clutch your pearls, everybody. Because here's the problem. If you look at the testimony that Dr. McCullough gave in front of the Texas Senate, he talks about the fact that he wrote a protocol for treating COVID. Anybody want to guess what one of the first line drugs was in regards to his pathway? Hydroxychloroquine. Because, of course, it was. And that makes perfect sense when you consider that Danielle Smith tweeted out before then. There was a new controlled clinical study conducted by doctors in France that shows hydroxychloroquine cures 100 percent of coronavirus patients within six days of treatment. It's not true. It's been proven to not be true. She had to delete that tweet because it wasn't true. But here she is. Speaking effectively in code for only people who understand the, the story and who these doctors are. That she still stands beside and behind the hydroxychloroquine bit. Not only is that, but she's misrepresenting what the impact could have been on human life if this bullshit woo science had been adopted by actual doctors practicing actual evidence-based medicine. Which brings us to the next point where she talks about how if there's a drug that's approved for uh, use in Health Canada by Health Canada, doctors can use it for anything they want. No, they can't. There are certain drugs that work for certain things. If somebody showed up to their physician with a heart arrhythmia and the physician said, oh, I know what will fix that. Here's some Tylenol. They would and should be held responsible for misconduct and negligence because that's not what that drug is for. So again, Daniel Smith is trying to paint the picture that you can, a physician can use whatever drugs they want for whatever they want, it's fine. And there are some medications that can be used for off-label uses, but any physician who prescribes them off-label will be very, very, very clear that they're doing so because there is some evidence that it might work they're not just making shit up because it's Tuesday. Another piece that the Alberta Sovereignty Act came up with, huge, had to do with the proposed uh, regulations of firearms. Now, this is a complex issue because there's a lot of people who have some very legitimate concerns in regards to what guns should be legal, what should be the requirements for getting guns, what, what shouldn't be. That's a great, big, huge conversation. But the way that it's presented here is a disservice to everybody. Should you become premier, would you give advice to the police or to the uh, Justice Department lawyers to ignore... Trudeau's obsession with firearms and focus on other things, or would you have them prosecute his laws? No, I think we can. Uh, we have a justice. If, uh, the justice minister has some control over what the RCMP does. There's two clauses in the current contract that allows the justice minister to direct the RCMP, and those clauses should be used so that we can direct the RCMP to do the things that we we would see right. And we could have the RCMP go into a provincial, we could have our provincial police force would give us just a little bit more control over that. And so I asked the question to the RCMP, when, the, when, when Justin Trudeau says your priority is to go out and start 
prosecuting firearms offenses that have just been made into paperwork crimes, are they going to do it? I think they will. This is the reason we need an Alberta provincial police that reports to us so we can say, I'm sorry. So yet again, there we have Danielle Smith and making an appearance, the other guy, Todd Lowen, talking about the fact that they would use an Alberta provincial police force in conjunction with the Alberta Sovereignty Act to get them, to, the police to do what they want to do, regardless of the legality, regardless of what the, the, the precedent is. They're just going to tell the police, hey, you know what? I totally get that this is a law and everything, but you report to me, so you're going to ignore it. You're not going to do that thing. That is almost the very definition of a police state. And it should be terrifying to everybody because when politicians are being willing to be that cavalier about destroying the firewalls that exist between government and law enforcement and the law, we got problems. There were some greatest hits, of course, that were played as well. Well, one thing we can do, we, we, we did have the Allen inquiry that, uh, that looked into these things. But when I look at what's going on right now, we, we know that there's, there's money coming in from outside sources that are, that's coming in to shut down our oil and gas industry. We need to investigate that. That needs to be cleared up. If any of us wanted to launder money anywhere near like what's laundered there, we, we would be all be in jail. And this, this government needs to be able to fight back and be able to investigate that money coming in. Well, one of the, the things that we should do is we should make sure there isn't any government money going to fund those organizations and entities that are working against our interests. Um, I'd like to look into where the Parkland Foundation gets its money, the Parkland Institute at the University of Alberta. We've got a lot of kids who uh, have got some pretty bad education over the last couple of years, and yet they seem to be very well funded year after year after year, churning out... Uh, research reports that are negative against our industry. How many more um, of these foundations within the universities are being funded with the tax dollars that you generate? I think we also have to look at what's happening in uh, K-12 education. I know that there's a really great group that was put together to try to bring in balanced education on energy and environment and other renewable fuels. Uh, it's, uh, I've, I've interviewed the woman, Dagmar Knudsen. She can't get any interest on the part of our high school and, and junior high teachers to, to put that curriculum. And why don't we make sure that we're ensuring that that kind of balanced education takes place in K-12 as well? Those would be the things that we need to do. And listen, folks, I live in the middle of it. I don't want to shut off the taps because that means unemployment for everybody. I'd like to stop the taps from delivering to them and maybe store it somewhere here. Now, <laughs> I, we had to include the, the Brian Jean bit at the end because we're just going to keep producing all of the oil that we do. Uh, we're just going to make, make use of, I don't know, some backyard space perhaps to store it in the meantime. Uh, <laughs> ignoring the fact that we wouldn't be making any money off of that oil because we wouldn't be selling it. Boy. Danielle G or Danielle Smith sure's got a curriculum she'd like to talk to you about. Hey, let's make sure that the kids know all of the, the benefits. And I mean, the fact that she's even saying that she couldn't get teachers to uh, adopt this proposed curriculum. Let's remember that for a brief period of time, Danielle Smith was on a board of education. If anybody should know how curriculum gets adopted and implemented, one would think that she would have a little bit of knowledge in this area. But she's expressing the shock and this horror 
that here's a lady going directly to teachers saying, hey, I've got this curriculum. You should take it. And the teachers are going, that's not how this works. It's really quite remarkable. But this is where we saw the bleed from this event into the greater discourse with this particular bit. The uh, UCP uh, recently affirmed a working group by the, uh, with the federal government to meet these net zero obligations of the Paris Climate Accord. What will you do to protect and enhance our hydrocarbon industry in this context? And third or second, will your government participate in this working group and prevent what some of you probably don't know yet is the mil military-style enforcement planned by the federal government by developing a 50,000-square-foot facility in Winnipeg, which is an armory with interrogation rooms to talk to people who are not compliant with climate uh, dictates. So what will you do with respect to uh, preventing uh, these sorts of controls on us? Now, if you're listening to that and you're thinking, what in the holy hell is this crazy man talking about? You're probably not alone. There are a lot of people who are listening to that who thought, what is going on here? And that comment probably, probably would have quietly fallen by the wayside had not Danielle Smith tweeted this particular gem out where she said, is Justin Trudeau seriously hiring climate change enforcement officers phrased as a question so it's not a statement, so she can't actually be accused of misleading anyone? As Premier, we will not permit any federal climate cops to operate in Alberta by virtue of the Alberta Sovereignty Act. So again, we find the Alberta Sovereignty Act is getting whipped out, it seems, for just about every little thing. And then she links to one of the job ads and includes this delightful little graphic where she's got Paul Blart Malkarp with a green thing on it. It says, Justin Trudeau's climate police, ideal candidate, love Greta, WEF, and Gilbo. She lists the salary and then she lists perks, handcuffs, batons, weapons. There's a lot of people who saw that tweet and went, what the holy hell is going on here? And there's a lot of people who looked into it. We looked into it yesterday, and we were able to figure out that what Dr. Zola was referring to there was, in fact, a let's go with blog post by the Dark Universe angry version of Caillou, who posted a novella we could call it i guess uh where he talked about it was an exclusive leak trudeau is installing weapon armories interrogation rooms for ministry of climate change um and then he went on to cite sources where he talked about oh we got the blueprints here look at the blueprints it shows the things there's a room for holding guns and they've got these these quiet rooms oh boy this is a real problem here and he coins the phrase in his little novella Trudeau's climate police. Same line that was used by Dr. Modry. Same line that was used by Danielle Smith. Now, as it's been pointed out, Angry Caillou has some, let's go with credibility problems. In the same way that we say, hey, we're not journalists. Don't, don't interpret us as such. Um, he doesn't. He, he claims to be a journalist. 
Um, this is the same guy who attended a particular insurrection in the United States. Turns out if this journalist had done his due diligence, like another actual journalist did, journalist Max Fawcett reached out to the organizations involved. And he did a whole Twitter thread on it today where he's talked about why are they building this new facility? It's actually a replacement of an existing facility, one that houses wildlife environmental enforcement officers. What are they enforcing? A bunch of non-climate act and laws from the Environmental Protection Act to the Fisheries Act. They're focused on things like exporting, importing animal parts to hunting infractions and the management of endangered species. Why do they need weapons? Well, if you were going to go into the bush to deal with a bear, you'd probably want a shotgun too. They need an army so they can store confiscated illegal weapons as well. Okay, but we're not even going to talk about the wet lab. But because sometimes you dissect animals when you're trying to figure out what happened to them or why they're sick. Uh, they talk about the interrogation rooms. And he says, actually, they're interview rooms. If they're enforcing laws, they need a place where they can take statements from witnesses or people suspected of breaking the law. Mr. Fawcett goes on to make it perfectly clear that the job postings are just to hire additional people. That's it. That's the replacement of normal attrition that happens in any workforce. If Angry Caillou had decided to reach out to the organization instead of assuming the absolute worst, as any real journalist should, he wouldn't have gotten this sensationalistic story. It wouldn't have been repeated by Dr. Modry of the Alberta Prosperity Project, who has the ear and by Daniel Smith's own admission is working with her and then perhaps Daniel Smith wouldn't have thrown out this incredibly, unbelievably stupid tweet. Now, I promised you earlier on that we were going to get to some of Daniel's greatest hits that have been recycled. Let's talk about diplomacy. What if we were to allow for our doctors to issue medical exemptions? What if we were allowed to allow our doctors to issue religious exemptions? Could we make the app irrelevant here? because anybody who wanted to go across the border would be able to. I pose that to you. Would we be able to get exemptions for our citizens? I just discovered that I guess you can get a political exemption to travel. Maybe we can deputize Albertans as uh, ambassadors for Alberta so that we can get exemptions for them as well. Now, it almost seemed like Danielle was struggling through that bit herself. She really kind of had to wind herself up towards the end. But this is a talking point that she's proposed in multiple town halls where she's claimed that she'll just deputize a diplomatic corps, which isn't a thing that a province can do. There's a whole bunch of steps in between somebody becoming a diplomat and them becoming a diplomat. And most of those are federal. You can't, they're also almost entirely dependent on the receiving country saying, yeah, we'll recognize that. And one can imagine that a country like Florida, or sorry, uh, a country like the United States or a state like Florida would look at a plane load of Albertans coming down for vacation, having suddenly been imbued diplomatic status by the premier of Alberta saying, Oh, yeah, we're not going to buy that. Like, we're getting into some sovereign citizen bullshit coming from somebody who wants to be the premier of Alberta. Never mind the fact that doctors issuing religious exemptions, that's a new thing. And of course, it wouldn't be a, a right wing 
conspiracy theory, loosely based in reality festival if it wasn't for an appearance by the WEF. I reject WEF. I reject the WHO treaty. I reject the UN agenda 2030. Whenever they go against the principle for Albertans, I'll reject that and never support it. Well, first of all, just kind of taking care of this overall, I think we need to make sure we break all ties with the WEF right off the start. And we need to send a message to uh, Klaus Schwab. You're done here. You're not welcome in Alberta. Goodbye. So there's freedom, I guess. Uh, we talked about the WF a couple of times now. It's, it's basically like a, a really, really smart FARC. For anybody from I'm making lots of '90s references tonight, it's 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 basically a really smart website where really smart people can write really smart editorials effectively about complex issues. That's it. They don't have any power. They don't have any enforcement abilities. And in regards to it being an exclusive club, as I've mentioned before, it's so exclusive. I was able to join for free using my iPhone. I still don't feel corrupted, but I don't know if I'd know if I was. It's really hard to tell. Now, of course, we did get into education as well. Brace yourselves. For what it's worth, for everybody who's been hanging out for the last hour, I want to say a big, big thank you because I know what a slog this is. I've been, this is like my fourth time through it. I, I get it. But if it wasn't for the fact that there's a very, very high probability that one of the two people, one of the three people on that stage is going to be the next premier of Alberta. I wouldn't be spending my time on it, but the reality is one of those three people is very likely going to be the next premier of Alberta. So let's, let's see what they have to think about education. So many Albertans believe that the education system has been co-opted by wokeness, CRT and cancel culture when it should be a bastion of critical thinking and a safe environment for the exchange of ideas. Recently, a tenured professor was fired at Mount Royal College in Calgary for challenging groupthink. Uh, when it comes to our post-secondary education system, we, we see a system that has, uh, has huge flaws. We've seen uh, professors with uh, very radical views be allowed to teach on our, our colleges and our universities. That needs to stop. We need to hold these people accountable for their actions and what they say. People need to be able to have that freedom of speech but we need to make sure that that freedom of speech fits in line with the education system that we have here in Alberta. So I'm watching an experiment take place in Arizona right now where what they're doing is they are implementing a voucher style system. And let's face it, our UCP members have voted in favor of us pursuing this type of approach where they give $7,000 to each parent for their, for their child. And then the parent is able to work with other parents to hire a teacher, create a micro school, end up building from the ground up. I think that's the kind of thing that we, if we believe in choice, then we have to create more avenues for choice. And when you look at uh, universities, maybe we need to look at the same kind of model there and accredit more universities so kids do have a genuine choice of where they want to go for their post-secondary. So to recap, freedom of speech is really, really important as long as you're saying the right things. We need to make sure that... Radical teachers are kept out, but we shouldn't fire radical teachers. And Daniel Smith doubles down on her micro schools theory, where if we just give parents money, 
we'll just pick a number out of the ether, I guess. Uh, they can start their own micro schools and teachers will be more than happy to have an unknown number of kids in their home. They'll be more than happy to have all of the things that they need for bio classes, for uh, science classes, for phys ed classes. Let's, let's, let's put together a gymnastics program in the backyard. It's so ridiculous. It's, it would be laughable if these people didn't mean it. But of course, if it, the foreshadowing from earlier where they were talking about hiring or sorry, firing the AHS board and firing the College of uh, Physicians and Surgeons wasn't a little bit of foreshadowing. Here's where we get to the meat. If elected, would you support the development of private health care options for Alberta? And we'll start with Mr. Jane. Yes, I would. Within a single-payer system, absolutely, 100%. We can get a better system. Yes, I, I definitely support private health care options, uh, and I'm committed to allowing private practices here in Alberta. One of the things I discovered about those who believe in vaccine choice is many of them do so because they believe in their immune system and they believe in healthy living. And people who believe in their immune system and healthy living tend to want to go to practitioners that are not funded by our systems. This is why I've proposed a health spending account to just begin the process of giving people a little bit of money, call it $300, so that they can buy the health care of their choice. If you're giving individuals $300, how do, you, how do you ensure that it's used for health promotion? Well, I, I guess I, I, I would like to see a system implemented like Uber. <laughs> Again, if it wasn't so uh, unbelievably harmful, it would be laughable. We're talking about health care now. And we're talking about we can have private health care. That's totally cool. All three candidates agreed there should be more private health care. But Danielle Smith takes it a step farther and says, you know what? If, if people want to believe in the woo, they should they should be allowed to believe in the woo. We're just going to say, you know what? Evidence based medicine doesn't need to be a thing anymore. We're going to if, if you want to spend three hundred dollars of taxpayers money per person on buying crystals or homeopathy or any of the the things that her naturopath physician friend offer despite the fact that there's no evidence most of them have been disproven if that's what you want to spend taxpayers money on well sure we should be able to do that it's ridiculous not only is it a waste of money but it's demonstrably harmful because there are no shortage of stories of people who have gone down those woo-woo roads looking for hope and have ended up much, much sicker than had they gotten the appropriate care at the appropriate time. There are 4 million and change people in Alberta. Danielle Smith wants to redirect $300 for every single one of those 4 million people away from the public health care system in order to do nothing in order to appease people because apparently she doesn't have the leadership skills to say, you know what? Sometimes medicine is just medicine. We're in, we're in the end game now, folks. We got one last section to go on. And as promised, we're going to talk about the judiciary. So let's, let's hear what the candidates thought about judges. So many Albertans believe that the education system has been co-opted by wokeness, CRT, and cancel culture when it should be a bastion of critical thinking, 
and a safe environment for the exchange of ideas. Recently, a tenured professor was fired at Mount Royal College in Calgary for challenging group think- Oh, I'm going to pause that for a quick sec, folks. Sorry, that is the wrong... <laughs> that, is, that is the wrong file. Give me two seconds here, and I will get the, the right one loaded up here. Thinking about the justice system here, we go. here now. If elected... Would you continue the current practices of selecting judges for appointment to Alberta courts, primarily based on immutable uh, characteristics such as diversity, inclusion, and equity, and political party patronage, as opposed to an unbiased assessment of an individual's character and overall fitness as a, ju- as a judicial candidate? Well, as a litigator for 10 years in Alberta, I can tell you I always wondered where liberal lawyers went and now i know they become judges that's what happens uh if it was up to me every person applying to become a judge would have to write some pretty hard exams i think that's very important much harder than entry exams because they are making decisions in people's lives that affect their lives big time and i would weigh the results of those tests as the most important consideration in determining qualifications i would also require a detailed essay an essay on their judicial philosophy I would not support electing judges because, folks, if you look at municipal elections, we usually get liberals. And I don't want to see more liberals in our courts. I want to see more conservatives there that give good thought to good processing, make good decisions. I would like to see a confirmation process very similar to what we have in uh, have witnessed in the United States. People should be fully vetted. We should know when they're appointed to the court. What their, what their biases are and what their judgments have been as, an, as a gauge on what they will judge in future. And one of the uh, proposals that I, I think one of the um, legal uh, institutes proposed in the past is doing a, a report card where you would actually go through and do an assessment of existing judges to find out how many of them give the maximum sentence, how many let people go uh, early, how many of them are tough on criminals, how many of them are lenient on criminals. It's, we, we get better information if we actually put the microscope on the, the existing judges and made sure that we knew what the records were. And when it comes to judges, I, I believe that we need to have uh, judges chosen based on their qualifications and their, their standards and and I think there needs to be a, a, a deeper review process when it comes to judges. And, and I'd, I'd be open to the discussion on whether we should have elected judges, too. I think that's something we should consider. Now, as the saying goes, tell me that you don't know what you're talking about without telling me that you don't know what you're talking about. Again, none of us at the breakdown are, are lawyers. Uh, we're not judges. We just Google aggressively some days. And we were able to actually using the Google machine, look up what are the requirements for somebody who wants to apply to be a judge. They're actually pretty extensive. Uh, You have to have a certain number of years. It's 10 years uh, practicing as a lawyer. You have to be able to answer a fairly long questionnaire in regards to what your legal experience is. You have to refer to which judges you've appeared in front of the most so they can speak to what your practice has been as a lawyer. There is a section at the very, very bottom that talks about the fact, and I want to make sure that I get this right, given that we just recently saw a Supreme Court judge whose First Nations get appointed, this becomes particularly relevant. Um, But it basically says uh, the provincial judiciary should be reasonably reasonably representative of the population it serves. This requires addressing any underrepresented in the judicial complement of women, visible, cultural, and racial minorities, and persons with disabilities. 
it's at the very end. It's a, we should try to do this. It is not by any stretch of the imagination, the deciding factor. And one need only look at the application to see the box where they'd collect that information is optional. So you don't even have to fill that out in order to apply to become a judge. It's the most ridiculous misrepresentation, misinterpretation of what the actual system is. And it's perfectly on brand for what the evening was. I want to say again, a big thank you to everybody who has stuck with us for this long. We're now going to open up the, the floor for comments. We got Deirdre on the line. And uh, I want to also want to say a big thank you to everybody who stuck around for, for this much of the listening to the, the nightmare that was that forum. Um, but again, it's real easy to get to say, you know what? Not my horse, not my barn. I'm not a UCP member. I don't care. Reality is beginning of October. One of these people is going to be one of the, one of the leadership candidates, maybe one of the ones that wasn't there, God willing. Um, but one of these people is going to be the new premier of Alberta. And it's really important that people know what the views are, certainly the more radical views, the more misinformed views, especially given the fact that we have seen more and more violence towards women, more and more violence and threats of violence towards people in political office. There's a term, it's called rage farming. And when people who are wanting to be the premier of the province are engaging in the worst kind of rage farming that there is when they're deliberately lying to Albertans. That's something that we should all be paying attention to. But Deirdre, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing mostly well. You survived <laughs> that, did you? <laughs> well, and the reminder too, right? Because it, you know, I was paying attention on Thursday night as well. So it just sort of, it's 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 tough to i guess to to think about it as much as we have i mean you were editing all day you've been listening to this constantly yeah it and it, it definitely is i mean it's it's one of those things where and 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 martin and i talked about this a little bit in in our our interview um where you kind of go oh was it really that bad like am i am i overestimating it? and you go and look at it again and you're like Oh yeah, it is that bad. What were your big takeaways from the the <laughs> evening? <laughs> so, I mean, one of the things that I did look at, and sorry, I'm just moving because I saw my bars going down. <laughs> so hopefully, this is clear. Um, like, I mean, Smith, and I don't know for sure if it was the environment right the the alberta prosperity project filled a room with very similarly like-minded individuals right i don't think there was a whole lot of uh breadth in there so is is it possible that 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 the candidates were i let's say um more open in, in this regard, speaking specifically to this audience. But at the same time, you know, like I said, I think last week, 
I've been following Danielle Smith for years because I find her fascinating. I found her, her spiral away from reality fascinating. And, you know, she was on every day, so you could just always pop in and check it out. And, and the thing is, she's very comfortable with everything that she has said. I've heard the majority of things that she brought up. I've heard them before. Yep. So, you know, I, I kind of, I almost felt like she has, you know, she, she's, she's exhausted her ability to, uh, you know, to, to exist in the reality that the rest of us know um, in her first, you know, three months of the leadership race. So, yeah, what's fascinating to me is, and I think I might have even said this last week. Uh, so if anybody's keeping a wow, Nate can be naive scorecard. You can chalk another one up on this one. Um, because I think I even said last week, like, you know, what scares me about her is that she appears to have learned not to say the, the really dumb things out loud. And what we saw on Thursday was her saying all of them out loud. And what we also saw was her, like, I can kind of sort of get to some degree the, you know, I, these are my people, you know, I've been with the APP since the beginning, Modri and me, we go way back. We're sharing databases. Everything's fantastic. Um, I can, I can kind of see that piece, but the fact that she took it outside of that sphere and she was like, you know what, we're going to, I'd love to know who's running her comms with the, the Paul Blart thing. Cause man, the number of times that I saw tags where people were like, Hey, Sony pictures, um, it, it, she hasn't, she's, she's still saying the, the very, very dumb things out loud. Yeah. And, and well, and like I said before, I've like, I, I've, I listened to her, not just, um, not just on the radio, but also, uh, like I attend, Oh, Canada strong and free network, formerly the Manning center. I attend quite a few of their lunch. <laughs> Let's call it a lunch and learn. Um, generously. And like, I, I attend those every so often. If I'm particularly interested in the topic, I think they do at least one a month. It could be more. And, uh, she's moderated them. So I've heard her speaking to this in many different contexts. And, uh, and, and like I said, she, she was genuinely confused or genuinely perplexed about why, everyone doesn't think the way that she does. And I think it's, it's coming out, um, you know, she's, she's going to go for it because she thinks that this is how people should think if they don't already. And it wouldn't surprise me as well if she's running her own comms now. Okay. Not the, maybe not the, uh, is she that good at Canva? <laughs> she, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm at a bit of a loss at that. And I will say, too, I was thinking of snitch tagging uh, Sony. But when I looked it up, <laughs> did you know that oh, the no. Blart Mall Cop, um, that, there is, that there is some question as to uh, whether or not, you know, it was the first edition? <laughs> because there was another one submitted to, uh, in 2003, there was a, 
a script submitted to Happy Madison Productions. And it's apparently really similar. So I decided to just leave alone. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I saw that a lot of people were were, were, were tagging Mr. Mr. Blart himself. So it, yeah. it, it, it could. I mean, it'd be interesting to, to see what happens. But one of the things that I also wonder about is it almost seems like he said cautiously um, she knows that there's sort of her 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 voter base is going to be the the folks that are on facebook uh getting all of the bad information we get the comments on the breakdown facebook page like wow um <laughs> and it's there are some people who have have just fallen so far down this i'm going to call it despair abyss that they're literally willing to believe anybody who says hey i'll give you your control back and I think that she almost seems to have figured out that there's the there's enough people that have become, for lack of a better word, radicalized post COVID and because of COVID that she's going to get she has a very good chance at, at getting the, the leadership race. Yeah, you think uh, I'm wrong? well, no, I don't think you're wrong. I'm not I'm still not positive that that's a majority of the base that signed up. I mean, they could be there were you know, a lot of people working to, to, uh, get those voters out for her. So it's possible. Uh, but you know, and I do, I do agree with you as well. There is a, something happened during COVID to a lot of people. And like, I, I remember finding out in university that it is completely normal, <clears throat> apparently, to uh, credit yourself when something good happens and to blame others when something bad happens. I'm quite the opposite. Uh, I will look at, if something bad happens, I look at, okay, so what can I do differently? And if something good happens, it's like I attribute that way too much to luck. <laughs> so, but apparently that's that's opposite. So just from what I mean, and I did not get nearly as many psych classes as I wanted, but just from what I know about psychology, this is, this is how a majority of people prefer to think. So when you can point at something and say, this is, you know, this thing that's going bad in your life, it's somebody else's fault. But one of the things that I even, you know, that I was writing today um, you know, is it, is it, there seems to be a desperation on behalf of, uh, grifters and a certain subset of politicians who are really desperately trying to get people to worry about something else than, and quit demanding solutions to real problems. And this is kind of how I, I was framing everything that was going on, the, the debate and you know the narratives that are coming out of the parties and 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 these these groups that exist all over Facebook and just it's 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 really quite scary. It is. It is. And I think I'm gonna I'm gonna we're, we're I'm gonna do the federal plug now because because you're the 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 official federal correspondent or something. Yeah. I don't know. We'll go with that. Um, <laughs> 
because I think it's relevant. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah, of course it is. So for for our listeners and uh, the the viewers at home, um, what's what's the what's the federal topic for this week? <laughs> so the federal topic, and honestly, it's not new. It's just that the target was newer. And so Christia Freeland, our deputy prime minister, was visiting Grand Prairie, had come into the Grand Prairie City Hall and was verbally accosted by some dude who really quite threateningly uh, was advancing on on her and and her, I believe somebody else said entourage, uh, all women. And he started with get the fuck out of my province and you don't belong here. And it was like, holy shit. Um, now again, this isn't new. I mean, Trudeau has been, well, he's had to cancel events for security reasons. Um, he's no longer, I don't believe that they're actually publicizing when he's coming to Alberta. Right. Like he was here, what a week and a half ago, maybe. Up I didn't Col- know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Cause they're not like it's, it's after the fact where they're saying that he was here. Um, like there is, there is this, this group of individuals and they are, they are pushing because things don't generalize. Okay. But again, back to psychology, right? <laughs> like, like you've got politicians that are like us against them. You know, these people are ruining your life. These people are the reason that everything is going wrong for you. It's all their fault, all their fault. And there are people who are, and let's even say have been inundated with this, with this rhetoric. They fully believe it, but there's a few of them now that are like, we can't have this happen anymore. We need to stand up for our country. We need to, you know, like this is really bad. Yeah. They're fully radicalized. Be if it was true. right? Like if, if this stuff that they, that they keep politicizing, if it was actually true, yes, that would be a problem, but it's not. (laughs) And that's why, that's why it's so dangerous because, because there are people like someone is probably going to get killed. Yeah. I, I cannot, like, I just, I don't see how that's not going to be the outcome. I don't know how anyone could look at what happened to Grand Prairie and not immediately think of Gabby Gifford. Um, the, the, the blatant misogyny, the, the, I mean, here's the thing. It's well documented that people who are willing to be violent towards women, so domestic violence type stuffs, People like that, that sort of behavior is a precursor to physical violence, full stop. Yeah. And so when there's when there's people who are normalizing this kind of behavior, it's going to come with a cost. There's no no question about it. I want to I want to come back to this in a sec because we got Lynn back this week and I want to I want to make sure that we give Lynn a chance to speak. So, Lynn, what's going on? Um, well, you've covered so much tonight. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right. And yeah, the the thing with uh, Christian in Grand Prairie frightens me to death. But I'm going to concentrate on one thing, and that's healthcare. 
So as I've said before, my husband has a grade four glioblastoma. If I had followed what her batshit crazy person had told me to do, he would be dead. Second of all, before we had healthcare, my grandfather had a lot of complications. Let's put it that way. He lost two legs. He spent a lot of time at the U of A. There was no health care. So they walked into my grandfather's farm where my grandmother was with my 13-year-old gra- mother or my 14-year-old mother and my 12-year-old grandfather. And they took everything but one cow. And they had to plant, harvest, and live with one cow. So anyone who thinks that private health care is a good thing is fucking stupid. Because all we need to do is look at the cost for health care in the U.S. And if, like I had said before, um, with my husband's group, with the glioblastoma group, the, the, the amount of money that these people would have to pay, their, their spouses would be dead. So just based on health care, aside from all the other batshit crazy stuff that was ha- said at that forum, um, that's my biggest thing, is health care. Well. You, yeah. <laughs> Once again, you leave me speechless, Lynn. <laughs> and I will. The thing is that you guys, you, I know there's not a lot of listeners, but I just need you to understand that he worked in the oil sands for 35 years. We are not what you would consider a, a poor, I guess we would be above middle class. But if I had to pay for his health care right now, he would be dead because we couldn't do it. I'd lose the house. I'd lose my car. I'd lose everything. So how is she figuring, or Brian even, figuring that we can survive on private health care? Well, I do know that they are looking at more so just private delivery or sorry, just public, it's, it's still public paid, publicly paid, publicly covered. Okay. Um, but more private delivery options. And I mean, that's happening with uh, lab services, right? So lab services have been privatized uh, in, certain, <laughs> in certain cases. They're still publicly funded, but the money is going into more private hands. So... I, I don't, I know that that's something that they are very aware of is the, uh, is the narrative about, you know, U.S. style healthcare. And I did live down there for a bit. I did have, I, we had a great HMO and we had, you know, the number one hospital in the state was actually the closest one to us. My experience with it was actually kind of good. However, that whole insurance part was scary. But um, but my, my experience with the actual system was pretty 
was much different. I had, so I had two children down in the States and I had two more up here when we moved back. And, uh, it was, it was night and day. They are very, very, I, I almost want to say customer service oriented, which is not something that I found when we got back to Canada. <laughs> so, um, you know, that is, and I get that Deidre, but you haven't experienced a, a diagnosis like we have. No. And the so thing- we walked into the cross and everything was covered. Oh yes. And that's like, that's how I, I don't want to say for sure that, that, um, that they want only publicly or publicly funded privately delivered but uh but that is one thing that like i said they are very aware of not wanting to go down that path of complete privatization where it is insurance companies however i also know that daniel smith has said a number of times that she could afford to pay for insurance for better coverage and therefore she would so they are still like some of them that would like to see more of this are looking at the option of having access to two-tiered care. So as an example, like the what's happening in Ontario right now, for the kind of tests that my husband needs monthly on a retiree, uh, you know, our budget is limited. We can't increase it. Um, it would break us. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, he needs an MRI every, every six months. He needs blood work every month. His medication is beyond, but it's keeping him alive with me. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think that's one of the, one of the big criticisms of the U S healthcare system and the private healthcare system or the two tiered healthcare system model is that if you can afford it, it works super great. If you can't afford it, then you're super screwed. Yes. Um, we have a lineup going now. Yeah, so, so go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to mic I'm I've been keeping a little bit of track as to who's up next. Matthew has his hand up. Matthew, what's going on tonight? Hi, thanks for letting me speak. Um, I'm from Ontario, um, so my experience with the healthcare system is going to be, you know, based here. Um, I, I'm diabetic, so every three months I got to get my blood work done. I've just had a hip replacement. Um, you know, I have to have x-rays, blood work, this, that, and the other thing. The x-rays and ultrasounds are already provided by a private clinic. Um, they don't ask me for a dime, right? They ask me for my health card. My doctor, my family doctor works, um, for a corporation, which is private. And most doctors are private. Yep. Um, again, I don't have to dig into my wallet. The idea of private delivery of healthcare is confusing some people. You can have a mixture of public private as long as it remains a single payer system, meaning that for me, OHIP is going to cover 
my cost for my emergency trip to the hospital because I gouged my hand so deeply it needs stitches. It means that, um, you know, anything that I need, basically, I can get that will cover my health expenses. And there are things that I would like to have more covered, but aren't. Uh, and that annoys me. But the system that we have here in Ontario, which I, I assume is pretty well the same across the country, isn't the best system in the world. It is a good system, but it is falling apart. There are uh, demands that simply cannot be met. Um, let me give you an example. If you go to a party where everybody's been giving free uh, Pepsi, you'll find at the end of the night that there are quite a few half-empty cans of Pepsi because Pepsi's free, so you put your Pepsi down, uh, you forget where you left it for a second, and you go get another one. If, however, that same Pepsi is $5, there will not be a single half can, quarter can, or tenth can of Pepsi left at the end of the night. And it's the same way with healthcare. Um, we tend to abuse healthcare uh, a lot. People use um, emergency rather than walk in clinics. Uh, people want to go to emerge because they just don't want to go to the store to pick up uh, a thing of aspirin. Is um, healthcare in Canada going to move to a two tier? Um, private system? I don't think so. We have the Canada Health Act, which is very clear, and I think it would be political suicide for any party in Canada to say, listen, we're going to get rid of OHIP, we're going to go with a, with a private system. I, I don't disagree with you that private delivery has its, has its place. I do have concerns. Like, Five bucks for a can of Pepsi is, you know, that's five bucks for a can of Pepsi. Nobody needs a can of Pepsi. Um, but there are a lot of people. We had a conversation with a, a, a wonderful gentleman who is on the age program or assisted income for the severely handicapped here in Alberta. And for a lot of, of, of people who are on those programs, five bucks would break them. Five bucks is the choice between eating today or not. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that has, has alarmed me so much about the way that these particular UCP candidates are, are sort of positioning things is that they are viewing things apparently only through the lens of, well, we've got money, so everybody does, right? And I think that that's, that's particularly, that's, that's a, a very myopic way of, of looking at things, which is not to, not to say that your, your, your view is myopic at all, Matthew. I'm not, not in any way trying to suggest that. But when the people who are leading the conversation, I mean, Smith is talking about spending tens, if not hundreds of million dollars on, so that people can go see non-evidence-based medicine. She's been very, very clear about that, that, that if somebody wants to go see a Reiki practitioner, they should be able to go see a Reiki practitioner. Um, and... I do think my personal feeling, as I speak only for myself, is that if we're going to use public health or public tax dollars to pay for health care, there should be evidence that that health care is effective. But I want to say a big thank you to, to for for coming in with the comments. I wish we had more time, but we got this list and I'm staring down a battery that's dying on me. So, Wade, I'm going to throw it to you. What's going on? And Cindy, we'll get to you next. Hi, wait. Hi. How are you doing, Nate? I'm good. How are you, man? Fantastic. Long time no here. Uh, first time Twitter 
space user. Um, you know, I'm a teacher, right? Yep. And that makes me a radical. So um, just thought I'd, I'd apologize to everybody that I believe in data-driven evidence. And if that makes me a radical, uh, so be it. Uh, the key question today isn't about education, isn't about healthcare. Uh, my comment is, if we've got these three individuals standing on the front of the stage, where are the others and why aren't they battling Danielle Smith when she puts out bullshit? <laughs> right? Like uh, Max Fawcett, it probably didn't take him that long to figure out that this is a fish and wildlife building, that... Uh, that this is for the betterment of animals. This is the betterment of Canadians and society and the environment. It is not about pollution. It isn't about, uh, you know, med- meeting zero at the Paris Climate Accord. And it certainly isn't about, uh, how should I say, training uh, terrorist interrogation. Um, but when I teach my students, I'm a big believer in data-driven evidence. And they have a number of questions they have to answer. Number one, who's the author? What's their qualifications? Do they have a degree? Do they have other degrees that support their evidence? Number three, do they answer the key questions that are required, the the five W's, um, as well as the how and the if? Uh, Do they support both sides? Is it biased? Is it to inform or to persuade? And that they have to find two other pieces of evidence, uh, a minimum of two other pieces of evidence cited from different sources that say the same thing. So my question is, why aren't the other candidates... They weren't on that stage because they don't want to be on that stage. But why aren't they attacking the hydroxychloroquine and her uh, her platform of BS? You know, I wish there was a good answer for that. I mean, I I'll be I'll be honest. I respect the 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 decision by the candidates to not attend that event. And I respect it. Me too. Me too. They, they, if they don't want to be on that stage and be associated with that three, that's fine. But why with social media and media in general, why aren't they attacking her comments um, that are clearly false and not grounded in data-driven evidence? I mean, not on that stage, but the day after or the night thereof. Why can't they do that? And why sh- is everybody just afraid of her? I think everybody's afraid of her. I think everybody's afraid of the base. But quite frankly, the other thing I think might well be going on here is we saw Travis Taves campaign manager come out and say, oh, I didn't know anything about the organization before we agreed to be on there. I guess I should have Googled it. So <laughs> there there may be a let's go with research deficit yeah. that, that is is happening potentially here. Yeah. Um, Actually, the other candidates have come out. What we're seeing is the fact that everyone is talking about Danielle's Sovereignty Act, and that's getting the media. Yeah. Um, the like I've seen Rajan Sani, Rebecca Schulz, uh, Leela here. Travis Tate did come out against. Uh, but but Nate's right as well. There's the base. And the base is, as far as I guess, because of the way the candidates are acting, they are, they're here for this. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not that they're not saying anything. It's that they're not getting any attention for doing so. Okay. Yeah. So she's got a Trumponian, well, we know that it's a Trumponian uh, strategy to put extreme views out there 
that people won't possibly look up and they'll use her reputation uh, prior in politics as well as the media to say, oh, well, Danielle's got to be she's got to have this back check. This can't be false. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that. I mean, the 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 fact that even on the on the the the, the Twitter thread around this space is there's I'm seeing comments from some folks on the more right who are saying, oh, it was a false flag. I mean, our collective uh, did an amazing uh, thread where they they sourced out the videos and very, very clearly this was not uh, a false flag. This was a an ignorant man child having a temper tantrum thinking that he could bully uh, a group of women. Full stop. And yeah. anybody who wants to try to rationalize that away, I don't got any time for them, quite frankly. No. Um, but I'm going to jump. I, I want to say thank you so much, Wade, for joining in. I'm just watching the battery on my laptop yep. down to 5%. And I want to make sure that I give Cindy a chance to speak as well before everything dies on me. Thank you for all you do. And as one radical teacher to a non-journalist, thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, man. Bye. Cindy, what's going on? Hi, thanks so much for hosting. I just wanted to comment a bit on this two-tier idea of privatization. If we look to the UK model, um, it's very easy to see where it fails. And some people may find it convenient to be able to pay a little more to get those services that they don't want to wait, etc. But where it falls apart, and this is really huge, is when it becomes privatized, it's for profit. So you'll go to a surgical center, but they don't have an ICU. You'll go to a surgical center, but if it's anything complex, they send you back to the public system in the UK. So you're, you're not saving anything. You, you still have significant wait times, and the for-profit centers are there for profit. So they're doing the bare minimum with the least amount of facilities to make the most profits. They're fine for your sore throat and your tonsillectomy. But anything above that, you know, aside from maybe a hip and knee um, in and out car change type joint, it, it's a colossal failure and doesn't save anybody any time. And it won't fix this broken healthcare system. Yeah, I think one of the that's a really good point. And I think one of the big arguments that we have to kind of remember when we're talking about the the situation in healthcare right now is as much as Brian Jean and, and a few of the other candidates really tried to say, oh, we're going to get more doctors, we're going to get more nurses. We're trying to. And the the reality is, is as much as the the general population is is covid fatigued with reason. And I'm not minimizing that. The reality is healthcare workers are even more so. And because of the toxic environment that uh, we've seen from Mr. Kenny and Mr. Shandro and driveway incidences and Rana, 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 um, there's a lot of physicians who have candidly said, I've left Alberta because I can't be there anymore because of the way that you treat me. And so we can we can explore all of the different models, but if we don't have staff, that's the end of the conversation. So and there needs to be funding for that staff. And that has to come from a federal position. Yep. Federally, we need to fund the provinces so they can't play these games. And I don't know, I have no idea why that isn't happening. And I would love some perspective from anyone who does. Maybe we'll make healthcare a big, big chunk of, of next week's show. And it would be appropriate because uh, we have an episode that we're, we're going to be dropping later in the week. Um, it's a spicy little meatball. 
we're talking EMS, we're talking healthcare crisis, we're talking data. It's it's uh it's it was a really fun one to record, and uh, that's all I'm I'm gonna say about it. It will be up for our um our our patron supporters um uh, probably Tuesday or Wednesday, and then it'll be up for everybody else on Thursday. I wish that I could keep this conversation going, but I am currently looking at 2% battery and the whole thing is going to crash in just a sec. I've maxed out my USB ports uh, in order to make sure that the the streaming thing is happening. And I've now learned that I have about an hour and 50 minutes before the whole system crashes. So I'm going to do a quick little plug. I want to say a big thank you. I Deirdre, I wish we had had more time with you, but I talked so much at the beginning and then everybody showed up and wanted to chat. Deirdre is going to be doing, like I've said before, she's going to be doing a lot of our federal stuffs. And so, you know, maybe, maybe Cindy, maybe the, the federal healthcare thing is something that we can, we can kick to Deirdre's homework. I don't know. Well, we'll see what she says. Um, but I do also want to say real quick as well, a big thank you to everybody who has stuck through tonight's marathon session, whether you've been doing it on the live stream, whether you've been doing it on the Twitter spaces, whether you're listening to the podcast. I hope you've stopped for a couple of breaks if you're listening to the podcast or watching it on the YouTubes after the fact, because my God, this thing's turned into a Lord of the Rings episode. Um I also want to say a big thank you to all of our Patreon sponsors, as always, because of it's because of our Patreon sponsors that we're able to get the things that we get to make us do the things. And I'm realizing tonight, especially, I probably need a fob that lets me charge my laptop at the same time as do the streaming. If you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, if you would please consider being one of our sponsors at www.patreon.com slash The Breakdown AB. Every little bit helps so much more than I can say with staring down one percent deirdre any final thoughts final thoughts um i mean this is it's it's rough to go through some of this stuff especially the ucp things um you know nate and i do it (laughs) so that so that you don't have to sit through everything uh you didn't get three hours worth (laughs) so i guess we'll just uh we'll just keep on paying attention to that sort of thing so that uh, no one else has to there we go thank you so much surgery and i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure that we chunk off just like a half hour for you next week because this was way too much nate tonight thank you again everybody we will see you next week and on twitter obviously in between then um there's a lot going on things are stressful take care of yourselves keep the conversation going